Welcome to Coach House Talks. Faith is something that we are told to have. We're told to encourage each other in it. And we see throughout Scripture that it's the thing that is, we are told to grasp hold of and cling to. Faith is what the Old Testament followers of God held on to. Faith is the assurance of a saviour to bring about the promises of God and bring freedom and release to our lives. It's faith that kept the church alive in the New Testament, the assurance of being with Jesus in the eternal kingdom, even as they went through what they went through. And it was faith that was required of the disciples as Jesus hung on the cross that Friday. Their hopes, their dreams appearing to be shattered. Jesus' words on the cross that we looked at on Friday, it is finished, didn't really signal hope or joy for those disciples. Although perhaps today we can look back and rejoice in what Jesus did accomplish. But either way, whether it be for us today or the disciples at the time, until the Sunday morning resurrection, there was little joy, no sense of things being finished just an emptiness. And I guess for the disciples, fear and hopelessness. It is finished, however, is indeed the correct term. Although there was something greater coming. Jesus' death accomplished all of God's requirements, all of them, to free us from the penalty of sin. Johnny prayed out earlier, And it was almost like he was reading my notes. Jesus' death accomplished so much. Sacrifice for sins. The perfect lamb. The prepared Passover. His blood to atone for sins in fulfillment of the law. Without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins the writer to the letter of Hebrews tells us. So with regard to sin and its effects over us, it is finished. So what greater aspect then did the resurrection achieve for us? Last year I spoke on the resurrection of Jesus proving that the sacrifice was acceptable to God. If you remember, I likened it to the sacrifice that the priests brought before the Lord once a year for the atonement of sin for the the Israelites in the Old Testament. The people would wait for the re-emergence of the priest from the inner sanctuary. If he didn't return, then he had been killed and the sacrifice deemed unacceptable. So his appearance would be greeted with great joy and celebration by the people for another year until the same jeopardy would play out again the following year, and the following year, and the following year. You see, atonement just means forgiveness and absolution for sins that you've committed. It didn't deal with sin itself. And here is the beauty and the wonderment 
of the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead signifies the redeeming of the promise. I died for sin, now I conquer and overcome the consequence of sin. There is no more death for those who believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. There's complete forgiveness for all time. The price has been paid, death has been overcome, and no wonder we have complete and assured joy because sin at last has been dealt with. So let's look at what Jesus told his disciples in the days preceding his death. Since the meeting with the Greeks that we looked at in John 12, Jesus has gone on to speak clearly about his mission. In John chapter 16, he clearly describes what the, what the disciples will go through as a result. In John 16, verses 16 to 24, in a little while, you will not see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me. And, and I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly. You haven't done this before. Oh, sorry. And he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. You see, there's an amazing transformation being promised here on a number of levels. That's Derek and Aileen on holiday. I've seen the photos. Are you going away next week? This will be you at Eastbourne, going down the front. <laughs> oh dear. There will be sorrow for the disciples. I just, I can't get over the picture of the disciples just hanging around in the background while Jesus is on the cross. Kind of, what's happening here? All our hopes have been pinned in, in this man. Here he is, being killed before our very eyes. And the world did rejoice. <laughs> Sad, isn't it? I mean, uh, we, someone was saying last week, the amount of times that we see on TV, Jesus' name being taken in vain. Jesus' name just being used as an adjective, as a throw it out there, as, even as, as a swear word, as a, as a comma even in conversation. I've never seen that done of any other religious leader, ever. Only Jesus, only God, 
I don't hear other names being expressed as a swear word, as an adjective, as a descriptive. And the world does rejoice. The world does rejoice. For we know it did as the crowds cheered for Jesus' crucifixion. Crucify him, that Barabbas free. But the grief that the disciples felt, Jesus told them would be turned to sudden joy. And no one can rob you of that joy. Do you know the joy that you experience when you first come to the Lord? Hands up if you can remember it. Hands up if you still have the same joy. Uh, a bit more hesitant on some people. And the reason for that is because there's somebody out to rob you of that joy. Every day that you live, you have a joy that no one can rob you of. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Sometimes it feels like I've been robbed of it. Things are not quite going as I thought they would. But here's what you have. You have direct and acceptable access to God the Father. No requirement of a priest, no requirement of a sacrifice. You have direct and acceptable access to God the Father. Why? Because Jesus tells you so. That's the result of his death and resurrection. You can now come direct to God the Father in my name. And because of that, you have abundant joy. Abundant joy. That's a strange word, isn't it? Abundant. Abundant means copious, plentiful, as much as you will ever need. Lavish and generous. All the joy that you will ever need to get you through the circumstances you will go through. And it's linked very much to the preceding statements made by Jesus, that his presence with the disciples will come to an end as he returns to the Father. But that the Holy Spirit would soon come to be with everyone who accepts Jesus' sacrifice and forgiveness of sin. John 16, verses 5 to 8. Jesus tells the disciples, but now I am going away to the one who has sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You see the threefold witness of the Spirit here for us, who dwells within us, convicts the world of sin. You ever notice when people find out that you're a Christian, maybe in your workplace or wherever you are, that suddenly some of their attitudes change? I've had it where people have been swearing and suddenly looked at me and gone, oh, I'm very sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Have you noticed that? The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And at the same time, of God's righteousness. And therefore, also the coming judgment. Jesus' statement that it is finished 
wasn't just a statement that said, hey, you know what, it's finished, what's gone is finished. It's a present reality. It's a statement that just keeps on going. You remember the, there's a statement that says, the gift that keeps on giving? Well, it's a bit like that. It is finished, it's the gift that keeps on giving for you and for me. It's a present reality. It wasn't just finished at the time. It is being continually and is continually finished. There is no more price to be paid. There is no more price to be, to be demanded. No more sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Because at long last, sin itself has been dealt with. All sin, past, present, and future. Now that sounds like a massive get out of jail card for us, doesn't it? Because it is. But it's a consequence of it as well. The resurrection heralds the commencement of the promised new covenant. A covenant sealed with Jesus' blood and guaranteed for us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The first installment of the fullness to come. The disciples had to bridge the gap between what was happening between the two points. Between Jesus saying, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send somebody else. And there had to be something to bridge that gap. We're talking about what our life, like, life looks like now in the gap between Jesus' return. Well, there's instances of this happening all the way through Scripture. The disciples had to bridge the gap between the point of Jesus leaving them and the Holy Spirit coming. So we have this very strange incident captured at the end of John chapter 20, which we read earlier. John 20, verses 19 to 22. I'll just remind you of it. That Sunday evening, so Jesus has been resurrected on the Sunday morning. That Sunday evening, the train coming. <laughs> the train, 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 train to glory. All aboard. You know what? When something like that happens, you never really know how to react to it. Whether, whether, to, whether to actually just shame the person. or <laughs> I wasn't meant to shame you, Tina, I promise you. Oh, dear. At least it was a train. No, I've heard some ringtones. Might have been my cheesy disco music. Anyway, John 20, verses 19 to 22. So Jesus has been resurrected in the morning. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, wouldn't you be? Even if you just had Jesus resurrected in front of you, you'd just still be worried that actually they killed him, they just dealt with him, and maybe I haven't got the power to be resurrected, so I better run for my life a little bit. So they were, they were a little bit afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly there was Jesus standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. I think that's the first words I'd need him to say to me as well if he just suddenly appeared in front of me. Peace be with you, which incidentally is always what Jesus usually says first when he meets people. Peace be with you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Calm in the storm. Peace be with you. Don't worry, I'm here. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, proving who he was. 
And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, just as had been promised. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I've always struggled with that. Always struggled with that little sentence. And I believe that Jesus was giving the disciples something to help them navigate the time between the promise and the full receiving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Something they would need specifically to help them get through the next few days. In much the same way that the Holy Spirit within us bridges the same gap until we step into the fullness of glory. We have the Holy Spirit as the guarantee, the first installment of the glory to come. It's what our faith is actually built on. And it's really important to note what the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus refers to the Spirit as the advocate. Another strange word. An advocate is one who defends or maintains a cause. In other words, like in a legal court today, which is where you'll usually hear the term a court advocate, an advocate gives voice to the defendant and makes persuasive argument to the judge on behalf of the client using the law as the basis for the argument. They are well versed in the law and they speak clearly and passionately for the rights of the person being defended using the law as the benchmark of that appeal. And the Holy Spirit is your advocate. Your advocate. I don't think that words are just misplaced or thrown out. I think they are full of meaning. And sometimes I think we miss the fullness of words. Jesus petitions the Father on our behalf and the Holy Spirit gives voice to our cause. I can't think of, nor would I want, any better legal team in the world if I was to stand before God, my judge. And this is what we have because of Jesus' death and resurrection. All of this is a result of God's great plan. You are legally argued for with the law on your side because of Jesus. Jesus' death pays for our sins. Resurrection cancels the debt of death and the Holy Spirit advocates on our behalf on the basis that sin and death no longer have any hold over you. Because we claim the new covenant, which we celebrate when we had communion, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Because we claim the new covenant, the law and the promise that God himself presented to us in Jesus is our right. And it's a legal one. And here is why we have abundant joy. No court can ever convict you judge you or me for our sins against God because the debt is 
paid in full. The arguments have been made and the case is concluded. The judge himself has accepted the payment for our and your wrongdoing. I remember stealing a toy car from a corner shop many years ago when I was a kid. There was the thrill of doing something daring, even though it was stupid and meaningless. And I think I only did it because my mates were spurring me on. We all did it. It was the kind of lunchtime thing to do at school. Let's go to the local shop and see what we can get. Just being honest, you know, I don't do it anymore. Yeah, it was a sense of belonging to a group rather than having any actual value in the stealing itself. But I also remember the feeling of deep-seated concern uh, that made me look around corners and uh, look over my shoulder with nervous anticipation that someone would find out and come chasing me down the road and demand payment for what I'd done. And that, the fear, I think, of police involvement and jail even. It was a very uneasy sense of achievement, managing to do something that made me feel a little bit nervously okay, but then this worry over the punishment that I knew it carried if I got caught. And it doesn't create an easy life. I've heard people say that once they've come to Jesus and then they kind of go away and they start to go and do other things again, that they never have the same fulfillment, never have the same joy, they never have the same... It just never lets them go because the Holy Spirit convicts of wrongdoing. Today when we sin or we fail, we know that we've done so. But can be, and we can be confident that we can ask and receive forgiveness because God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our failings. The story of God's dealings with man is consistent and fair. The Bible tells you this. Repentance and forgiveness go hand in hand. We repent and God forgives without argument. Now before we start to misquote and grasp this wrongly, as I've heard many do, the Apostle Paul states that because of this great grace of God, this does not give us reason to sin more. It's not a blank check. It's not a blank piece of paper that you can just pull out your paper and go, hey, because of this, I can do whatever I like. That's not what this is about. Apostle Paul states that because of the great grace of God, this does not give us reason to sin more. Rather, we desire to sin less because of the knowledge of God's love and grace towards us. Does that make sense? We must be reminded also that although the punishment of sin, or through the punishment, the, the, although the punishment of sin, death has been removed from us, all of us who have accepted Jesus. Death is not a sentence over you anymore. But it doesn't mean that sin has no consequence in your life. It doesn't mean that when we do things wrong, when we do sin, that there is no consequence. Just because the price is paid 
and there's no penalty, it does not mean there's no consequence. All of us in this room who have sinned, okay, know that there's consequence to that sin, don't we? We know how bad it makes us feel. We know that we have this urge to do things right and put it right. And sometimes our actions of sin have a knock-on consequence that we have to live with. Because sin is sin at the end of the day. The Bible reminds us of this too. It doesn't pull any punches. However, for the purposes of this morning's celebration, we are thankful for God's plan and purposes to redeem us back to himself. Because we serve a mighty God. Today, of all days, we rejoice in Jesus' resurrection. Because the results and consequences of this amazing act of grace and power are forever and always to those who cry out to Jesus for rescue and salvation. And I'll conclude with John's words from his gospel and the reason he gives for writing it. John 20, verses 30 and 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Have faith and cling to your faith. The advocate legally, legally argues for you and uses the law, uses the law, that's the amazing bit, uses the law to argue for your fulfillment of it, that you covered it, it's covered, it's done. There is no law can convict you anymore. So I wish you all a happy Easter and ask that God will bless all of you as a family together, in your own families, wherever you might be, and enjoying the celebrations. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.